right. Good morning, Three Circle Church, all of our campuses joining us uh, right now and online. I can't believe this, but we're bringing our summer series to a close, and I don't know why summer went so fast, but it did, right? But it did get hot, didn't it? It did everywhere. It's hot. So, hey, listen, before we dive into the word today, and if you're at one of our campuses, if you'll just give me just a moment to kind of deal with uh, a, a thing here at the, the campus where I'm actually standing here in Fairhope today, I need to let you know that beginning next week, we are going to make a bit of a, a move, and it's a 15-minute move, and it really won't affect you guys, but in case, like, let's say you're coming and you maybe go to a different service at another time, another gathering. Gathering time, Net, beginning next week, our 11 o'clock gathering is going to move to 11.15. We're going to move it by 15 minutes. And the reason we're going to do that is because of our ingress, egress situation. Getting people on the property and getting people off the property is becoming more and more of a, as we grow, uh, it's, it's a really hard thing to do. In fact, it's an impossible thing. And I'm just going to be honest with you, it can take almost 30 minutes at times to, uh, to, to get off and on our property. And so we're going to try to help that situation big time. And it's just a 15 minute change. So if you could pray that that goes well, that'd be awesome. And if you've got some brilliant idea that we haven't tried yet, you can tell us that one, but this is one we're going to try now. And, uh, we're hoping that works. And then if you have friends that are in the 11 o'clock gathering and when it moves to 11, 15, you, if they call you and go, Hey man, that's, that's too much. We're going to move back to nine 30. I want you right then to say in Jesus name. You know, it's not, no, you stay where you are. No. Uh, yeah, because we don't want them to move. We want them to stay where they are. But truly, thank you all for helping us, uh, the most amazing church. And we know it's hard to get on and off our property. We get that. And we're continually trying to work on that. So thank you all for helping us. But next week, that change is going to take place. And again, we're just also grateful for your patience really over the years with us trying to figure that out. So thank you so much. So now we're going to dive into this final installment of the fruit of the Spirit. Remember, Jesus introduced it in John. He said, I want you to bear much fruit, but you can't bear it apart from me. For you to bear fruit, you have to abide in Jesus. And then in Galatians, Paul expounded on that, and he said, now that fruit thing that Jesus introduced, here's what it looks like. Here are the components of the fruit of the Spirit. And that's what we've been walking through all summer. We kind of anchored the boat of Three Circle into the Word of God in those specific places all summer long. And today we're going to look at the last one. We're going to get to Galatians in a moment, but the last one on the list is self-control. I bet all of you just couldn't wait for this one, right? Self-control. Now, what's interesting is in the ancient Greek and Roman world, uh, this idea was already swirling around. And it came from this group of Roman and Greek intellectuals known as the Stoics. How many of you have ever heard of the Stoics from the Greek and the Roman world? In fact, here's the most famous of them, probably, uh, Marcus Aurelius. That's a, a, a kind of a sculpture of him. Marcus Aurelius, among with his contemporaries, all talked about self-control, among other things. And what they wanted to do is they wanted to figure out by observing the world around them how to live the best possible life they could. This was a big deal for them, all right? And they had this Greek word that they used for self-control, ingratia, ingratia. Everyone say it with me. You ready? Ingratia. See, you sound great in Italian when you say that. It's awesome. So Romans, anyway, so, so there we go. Now, they talked about self-control, the idea of controlling yourself. Okay, what is the difference between what the Stoics were trying to teach when it comes to ingratia and what the Apostle Paul and the Apostles and Jesus himself will teach in the New Testament of the Bible? Because they're going to be different, but they're going to use the same word. 
Paul's going to use in Gratia too for this idea of self-control. But there's going to be a huge difference, and we're going to see that difference in just a moment. They are two different things, and I'll show you what they are. So let's go to Galatians 5, 22 to 23 one more time. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and here we are, self-control, and gratia. Against such things there is no law. Now, there it is, self-control, and gratia. Same thing the Stoics were talking about. What is the difference? Tell you the difference. Self-control, you want to write it down, is the Spirit-produced. The biblical fruit component of self-control is Spirit-produced ability to restrain your own desires and passions. And another way to say that is your God-given ability as a Christian to say no to yourself. Now, the Stoics were different because here's what they believe. There's, There's two things different. Number one, they thought that they could pull it off. That's what they were doing. They thought with enough work and enough discipline and enough trying hard and enough tricking their brain into it and enough practice that they could actually get get their own lives under control. They could control the self, but they could not. That's why they had to keep writing stuff. Finally, they all gave it up because you just couldn't do it. And it's why we can't do it either. Jesus told us, you can't do this. And not only that, the Stoics had no real higher purpose for even pursuing this. Their purpose was, well, we, I can live a better life, make Rome, make Greece better, but that was it. We have a different, so, so as Christians, what's different? We believe that we cannot pull this off. We know we can't. We're convinced we can't. We've tried and we can't. We believe when Jesus said that you must abide in me to pull this off, we actually believe him. We take him seriously. No amount of work and effort and practice on our part, we will never pull off self-control. We know that. And the other difference between us and the ancient Stoics is that we do indeed have a higher purpose. We do not just do this for ourselves. We want to see self-control grow in our lives because we want to glorify our King and our God. And we believe that as self-control is more pronounced in our lives, that means the light of our lives is going to get brighter for the world around us to see because self-control is so abnormal in our world as all the components of the fruit of the Spirit are. Like, if you're a person that can say no to yourself, you do understand that's weird. Today, our culture is all about say yes to yourself. Whatever you want, say yes. And, And by the way, we're finding new limits for that. Want to change who you are in any possible way? Go for it. Want to want to do what you want to do? Do it. It's your truth. You change truth. You can even change the meaning of truth. It's kind of like Pontius Pilate looking at Jesus. What is truth? Jesus is like, you're looking at him. I am the standard. This is the truth right here. So we live in a world that's pulling us in the opposite direction, and yet the Bible says that if you're a real Christian, God will empower you to do this impossible thing. Say no to yourself. Say no to yourself. Self-control. Spirit produced. Now, when I was a kid, I grew up in uh, a rodeo family. So among, you know, I lived on a farm, and I guess natural outgrowth of that would be going to rodeos. My granddad loved a rodeo. And so as a kid, one of my favorite things every year is we'd go to the big rodeo in Jackson, Mississippi. It was called Dixie Nationals. Has anyone ever even heard of that and you ever been to it? Well, I've got a few rodeo people out there. And so uh, we would go to Dixie Nationals every year. This is the big stadium, and there'd be country music and all this stuff, and I just loved it. My little brain would just explode every year. I couldn't wait to go. 
And so we'd go to the rodeo. And before the real rodeoing started, by that I mean crazy people getting on the back of bulls and riding them, okay? And, and I, have, I, I have tried that once, once in my life. It wasn't a bull. It was a cow. And I will tell you right now, if you're a rodeo person, I didn't even sniff eight seconds. I didn't even get close to eight seconds. And nor did my friends who tried it with me. Okay, so that's a different story, and it doesn't help my illustration, all right? Back to the Dixie Nationals. So before the real rodeoing would start, they had this event where they would get a bunch of kids. I only got to do it one time. Get a bunch of kids and put them out on the arena floor. You're out there. And then there would be this pen over here full of little pigs. <laughs> and they had dumped this stuff. It didn't hurt the pigs. It wasn't like bacon grease, all right? It was like Johnson & Johnson because they smelled good. I remember that distinctly. The, the pigs smelled good they, and they're not supposed to. So, And they poured this oily, soapy stuff all over them. And then they would look at us, old cowboy. He'd say, y'all ready? <laughs> sure. They'd open that gate. And man, if you, and this was called the pig wrestling contest. And you were to chase that, those pigs around. All these kids start chasing these pigs. And I thought, if I ever get my chance, and I did get my chance, I thought, I will, I will have that pig in my hand so fast. Because there was a really good prize. But do you know no one ever won that prize that I know of? And I didn't win it that day because I got my hands around several of those little pigs. And they just said, right on out. I mean, they just slipped right out every time. Now, now look, I promise you, the slipperiest pig you've ever tried to wrestle in your life is you. You never found one slicker than you are. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Right? Your biggest problem normally in your life is probably you. At least that's been my experience with me. Okay? And oh, I can blame it. Oh, I can deflect with the best of them. But at the end of the day, the dude that looks me in the mirror every day, that's my problem right there, that guy. I have a problem wrestling him down. In fact... It is impossible for you to wrestle yourself down. You can't. The Stoics tried. They tried. They could not pull it off. Jesus says, though, he will do this in your life. He will begin to give you supernatural power to get yourself under control to his glory. That's a beautiful, powerful thing. Now, I want to show you in the Bible an incident where Jesus, at one of his most intense moments, is going to model for us Self-control. Remember, Jesus models all of them. He's going to model self-control, and another guy there is going to model the opposite. And most of us are going to go, well, I can relate with that guy, okay? So, so this is an intense moment. It's it, the night of Jesus' arrest. Maybe you've never seen this in the Bible. So the night Jesus is arrested, one of the most intense moments of his life, he's just, in fact, moments before, a couple hours before this happened, he introduced the idea of fruit. That whole thing just happened. Now he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he has just prayed. And he has wrestled down because Jesus had two natures. He had a human nature and a divine nature. And his human nature, he had to wrestle it down underneath the authority of his father, and he did to his glory. Jesus never sent. And so in that garden, he prayed. Do you remember what he said? Is there another way, human nature? But not my will. Remember this? This is what it looks like. You want to know what it looks like. This is what self-control looks like. Not my will, but yours be done. The ability to say no to me. So Jesus had wrestled all that down. And then he comes out and Judas has shown up. And Judas has a crowd of what we call the temple guard. They were violent men with weapons and chains. And they have come to arrest Jesus. 
And here's what happens. Remember, Judas is the one who took him there. So Jesus says to him in Matthew 26, 50, friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. That's violent language in the original language. That means they're already beating Jesus up. They're already on him. But here's what happened. Verse 51, and behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Now let's just stop for a minute. I'm going to give you a half a second to tell me who you think that somebody is. If you've been around long enough, read one of the other gospels and it'll tell you, yes, it's Peter. It's Peter. Of course it's Peter. Now here's what's interesting about this. You do know if, if you're trying to protect your king, you cut a dude's ear off, that means you missed. He missed. Peter has a way of messing up his most heroic moments, doesn't he? So he's going to go Braveheart on everybody, pulls out his sword, and he can't even get that right. Wax a dude's ear off. You know he's aiming at his head. So here's Peter, dude's ear, like I don't know what he thought that was going to accomplish. Watch what Jesus does next. Now let's just think of the intensity of this moment. Jesus is like being roughhoused at this point, and he sees this happen, and Jesus says to Peter, verse 52, put your sword back into its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. He goes on, watch. Do you think that I, by the way, what I'm about to read to you gives me chills every time I read it. The implications of what he's about to say. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? He is being roughhoused. And if I'm the guy's roughhousing him, I'm going, ooh. Jesus says something stunning, startling. He says, do you not understand that I could snap my fingers and this thing will end right now? More angels than your mind can imagine, Peter, are stand by right now. Their, their swords are drawn. And all I have to do is give the nod. All I got to do is just look towards them. And there will be more destruction poured down into this garden known as Gethsemane than you can imagine. If I want their hands off of me, they're getting off of me. So what Jesus is saying to him is, here's what I watch, what I could do. I don't need you going after guys' ears. I got this. Look what he says, verse 54. But how then? So he says, I could call the angels down. But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? Jesus is looking at Peter and he's saying, bud, listen, this has to happen. There's a bigger purpose going on here. There's more going on. And I've been trying to tell you for months and you wouldn't listen that this was going to happen. But this has to happen. And I'm in complete control and I do not need you going brave hard on me right now. I got it. And if I needed the help, I'd get the help. Trust me. And, and they wouldn't miss, by the way, Peter. But then he says there's a higher purpose. And what Jesus is giving us is a principle that we can apply all across our lives. And here it is. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. That's the heart of self-control. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. 
Jesus could. He's saying to Peter, I could call down more horrific destruction into this garden right now than the world has ever seen to stop this process. I could do that, but I will not because I should not. Because just a few hours earlier in this garden, I prayed and I submitted myself to my father because there is a plan and I am going to stick to the plan and I am exhibiting self-control. And Peter, of course, is exhibiting what we all do. We react. I got a sword. Often what our culture has taught us, and by the way, it's your natural proclivity, your flesh and mine, we just do, we, if we can, we do. If we afford, we buy. If we can eat it, we eat it. Would you like to supersize that? Yes. <laughs> then we get Coke Zero to make it all feel better. And then ask the Lord to bless it. Lord, please bless these seed oils to my body. And Just because you can doesn't mean you should. The person selling you the car may tell you, hey, I think, you know, looking at everything, I think you could afford these payments. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. You go build, build a bigger house, you might can make it work financially. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. You might just walk right out of your marriage and just blow that whole thing up and go be happy. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. You could take advantage of that situation. You could leverage your authority. What? Just because you can doesn't mean you should. And Jesus modeled this for us. And that is the heart of this idea of self-control. That God gives us the power to say no to us. Now, there's another guy in the Bible. We'll go back into the Old Testament. There was a guy who actually was able to live kind of a all-out life in a way that none of us ever could. His name was Solomon. Solomon was the king of Israel right after his daddy David. And as great as David was, David was always fighting somebody. It was like a fight, and then he messed it, the, everything up pretty, pretty bad, and it took a while to get that thing back together, and it was a train wreck. So really, if you were picking which kingdom to live in, it would actually be Solomon's, if you can believe that, even though David's more famous. But it happens when you kill giants. You suddenly, you know, you're famous forever. But if you get under the hood of that thing... Under Solomon's reign, they build the temple. They're an economic powerhouse. Everybody's making money. Everybody's happy. A lot of peace. Okay. So Solomon is an interesting story because Solomon lives a totally off-the-rails life for a while and then tells us about it. He lives in a way that none of us will ever be able to because the Bible tells us about Solomon. He's the richest man in the world. He had every, like when you fantasize, we had that fantasy, if I could do anything I want to do, he goes, well, I did, because I could. So he was really good looking, the Bible says, like his daddy, got those genes. He, uh, he had all the power, all the authority, and all the money. And what makes him really cool is that none of us are that. We don't have that. Like, that means he had unlimited resources, basically. Now, if any of you have unlimited resources like Solomon, I'd like to meet you after. You could help us out with some stuff around here. You could fix that ingress egress issue real fast. You can help us at every one of our campuses. We need to meet you. I'd like, I'm looking forward to that. But none of us, none of us have what Solomon did. He had unending authority and unending resources, and he tells us that he, he lived it up just to see how it would go. Ecclesiastes 2.10. <clears throat> he said, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. Mm. He said, I kept my heart from no pleasure. My heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. 
So he said, whatever I saw, I bought it. Whatever I wanted, I went and got it. I just did what I wanted to do. And let me tell you something. Solomon tried a fully self-indulgent life, and he found it to be empty. The whole book of Ecclesiastes is like, hey, I tried all of your fantasies. It's terrible. He went and married as many times as he wanted to, just ignored God's laws. It, it was terrible. He ate and ate and ate. So it was like, you know, even a great steak every night at every meal gets old after a while. He ate and drank and Shakespeare borrowed some of his language to write some of his, eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die. Dave Matthews <laughs> grabbed onto it too. All these ideas. He's lived it up and found it to be empty. And then in writing, and he wrote a lot on it so we didn't have time to go into all of it, but in Proverbs 16.32, in his observations, he says, whoever slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit, that's self-control, is better than he who takes a city. See, in the ancient world, taking a city is what kings did to show that they had power. I see it, I go get it. That's what Solomon said. I did. If I wanted that town, I just went and took it. Who's going to tell me no? And you know what he found? He found that a much more impressive thing was the ability to say no to yourself, to not just do whatever you want to do. Now, that is more impressive than even taking a city. And in fact, he realized that every time he took more, it complicated his life. Every time he took on another wife, another city, another town, more acreage, more land space, more money, it was just more complicated, which leads us to this principle. Every yes and no in our lives are connected. Solomon learned that. He realized that when he said yes to this new relationship and yes to this little uh, bit of land that he would take and yes to this city, when he said yes, it had a corresponding no. It was complicating things. Just like when you say yes to another thing on your calendar, you inevitably are saying no to something else. They're correlated, I promise. What I've tried to teach, you know, my wife and I work together on this. We try to teach our kids, hey, yeah, we, you, want, you, you think we should go buy that? Well, sure, we'll go buy that. It just means we'll have to say no to these 20 things. Like every yes has a corresponding no. If you haven't learned that financial lesson yet, might want to learn that one quick. <clears throat> sure, you want that new car? Go for it. You think you can afford those payments? Go for it. Just know that you can't do that and this and this and this, these other things that we like to do. And see, every yes has a corresponding no. You say yes to this, there's a no here. But on the positive side, when we're willing to say no, Oh, it opens the door to lots of yeses. When I'm willing to say no to myself, when I'm willing to delay gratification, and the Bible says that's so hard to do that it literally requires supernatural power to make that happen. He went on in Proverbs 25, 28. He said, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Now, in the ancient world, if a city didn't have walls, it was disrespected. There was no hope for anything. You, you couldn't do a thing to protect yourself if you didn't have walls. Do you all know there's a whole book in the Bible about rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem? It's called the book of Nehemiah. So in the ancient world, a wall was protection. And what Solomon learned from his own life is that if you can't say no to yourself, you're like a city without a wall. It means that you have extreme vulnerability. You are extremely vulnerable if you lack self-control. You've opened the door. I hate when I do this, but <clears throat> I did a rodeo story. 
and now I've got to do a farm story. And it just makes me sound like a walking country song. But it's, i got to tell you anyway. Are you okay with one more story? Okay. So when I was a kid, we had this barn with hay in it that was fun to play in. We had a bunch of cattle. We had like, I, I figured it out. that There was a time we ran, we had close to 100 cattle. That's a pretty good bit. And so this one day, I was probably 11-ish years old. I'm coming home on the school bus. School bus turns down our road. And I look out the window, and I, there's cows everywhere. Cows everywhere. On the road, on the side of the road. And I'm like, who let their cows out? And then I recognize one of them. I'm like, that's our cows. Because you kind of get to know your cows. I'm like, oh, there's Jim. You know what I mean? <laughs> there's that cow I tried to ride with my friends. Uh, and then my little mind started turning. And I, re- I remembered that. The rule is, if you play in the barn with your buddies, there's this one little gate at the back of the barn that when you leave, you've got to make sure that little gate is closed. And I couldn't remember if I had closed it or not. Couldn't remember. So I remember getting off the bus, and you just hear them everywhere. You know, just enjoying life outside the 200 acres that wasn't enough for them. <laughs> About this time, my granddad has come home. Someone's called him, and he comes up to me, and he says, Were you in the barn yesterday? And did you close that gate? And I said, Pop, this is what I said to him. I said, Pop, it's a little bitty gate. I'll never forget, he looked at me and he said, Son, a hundred cows can come through one little gate, one at a time. <laughs> and evidently, that's what they all did. Hey, guys, let's line up. <laughs> and that's what they did. And I'll never forget that. And here's the deal. What Solomon's telling you is, It doesn't look like a big deal, but whatever area of your life you do not have self-control, you just can't say no, whatever that area is, is a wide open gate. And you don't think a lot can happen, but the enemy can come in like a flood right through that little gate. More than you ever imagined can come through that gate. In your life and mine, it leads to extreme vulnerability. And what is it that pulls so hard on us? You know, the Bible doesn't leave us stranded here. It actually tells us what it is. What are the magnetic pulls? What's the currents, if you will, that are pulling on us, on our flesh, that we still have, even though we're Christians? Remember, Paul tells us there's the fruit of the Spirit, but the works of the flesh, and they're all still hanging around in us. And one's growing, but the other one's still sitting there ready to, ready to pounce. Well, the Bible tells us in 1 John 2, 15 through 17, and what we're going to do is introduce one more Greek word. So we had uh, ingratia earlier, right? That, I, that Greek idea of self-control. But now we're going to look at this idea of the world in 1 John. And, and it's going to use a unique Greek word, cosmos. And we'll define it in just a moment. We're just going to look at the verse first. But when you see the word world here, he's using the word cosmos. And it means something very unique. Look what he says. He says, do not love the world. What is that in Greek? Cosmos. Or the things of this world. If anyone loves this world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, and here we go, he's going to tell you the three currents that pull on our flesh. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's it, those three. Just three. You go, that's a little gate. Tell me a whole herd came through that gate. Uh Uh-huh. Just three things. Desires of the eyes, pride of life, desires of the flesh. And it says here, they are not from your father, it's from the world. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. 
Now, that word world cosmos means a system or a way of doing things. It does not mean trees and dirt like the world, because the, the word world can mean that. It doesn't mean people, because the Bible is clear that we should love people and that God loves people, so it's not that. No, it's this word cosmos. It's a system. Watch this. This world has a way of doing things, and your flesh loves it. Your flesh loves it, your spiritual flesh, just like your belly loves an Oreo. That's why good trainers will tell you, get all the bad stuff out because you will not win the battle. At 1130 at night, when all you've had is dirt and lettuce all day long, and there's a jar of Oreos, and you go, you know what, I'll have half of one. And then 10 minutes later, you've had 18 of them. You lost the battle, right? You will not win that battle. Your appetite of your flesh, your desire of your flesh, I have an appetite. The desire of your eyes, you see it, you want it. And you're proud of life. Look at who I am. Look at who I'm becoming. Look what I can do. Look what I'm all about. Those three things will beat you every time. You will not win that battle. Jesus says, you can't do anything apart from me. You cannot. You're defeated before you start. Unless, unless you walk in the power of the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead that has been put in your life. You do not have to bow down to these three things because you've been given supernatural power to have victory over them. That's the promise. And it's called self-control. And you can't do it on your own, but he can empower you to do it. And it's so supernatural that you and I know that if we can withstand that pull, well, that's got to be Jesus. So it is internal evidence for the Christian that we really are Christians. And it is external evidence for everybody else that we really are Christians. The light gets bright when we exhibit self-control because it's so abnormal. It's unbelievable. Like, no one can do that. And you go, well, I am. I'm seeing it happen in my life. That's what happens when you walk with Jesus. Don't walk with Jesus, don't abide in him, and even as a Christian, you'll see those three magnetic pulls get real strong. Anybody know what I'm talking about? When I don't walk with Jesus closely, the desires of my flesh, whew, there it is. My eyes begin to see stuff, I want, I want, I want. The pride in my life begins to rear its ugly head. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Don't leave me hanging here. Y'all are all like, just you, bro, I never, never felt that. What's wrong with you, man? See, watch this. The fruit of the Spirit is demonstrated in believers as we withstand the magnetic pull of that world system while we submit to God's authority. The fruit of the Spirit is demonstrated in that way. And more and more and more, those three things listed in 1 John have less and less pull. And we become like cities with walls built around us. And we become lights that shine so bright because we're able to say no to ourselves. Now, let me ask you, what areas of your life do you know right now you simply do not say no to yourself enough? You're just saying yes too much there. What is that? Because I bet the Holy Spirit's already doing that for you like he is for me. Would, maybe you just want to write that down because we're going to prepare in just a moment. We're going to have the Lord's Supper together and our team's going to come and lead us in that. But as you prepare for that right now, I would, I would just ask myself that question. Let me pray for us. Jesus. As we prepare to celebrate the Lord's Supper, would you show us those areas that we need to ask you to empower us 
to exhibit more self-control for your glory. And we thank you that you have given us the power to do just that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.